there's been times where we thought we were going to fail. And we were literally sitting at lunch maybe a year and a half ago, figuring out how we were going to unwind the company and it was going to go bankrupt. And when I think back over the last five years, there's so many ups and downs. And you know, when you're down, you got to figure out what is it going to take to get through this. Welcome to Access Points, the podcast where we discuss the tools, habits, and ideas that can help you achieve and maintain the leadership mindset so you can reach peak performance. Are you ready for your all-access pass to some of the top minds on the topic of leadership? Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Access Points Podcast. We have uh, another treat today in our ongoing series of having guests in that are entrepreneurs. I have a, uh, a good friend of mine that does some really interesting stuff, and I wanted to have him in today, and so I'm very thankful that he took the time to come in and do a podcast with us. This is Randall Mize, and Randall is with uh, Leviate. And Randall, say hi. Hello, everyone. Good to have you. We're glad you're here. Randall has a really interesting background and a really interesting story. And so I'm going to get him to tell you a little bit about that. But he has taken a, a, a career from aviation and flying to taking over or starting a company. I'll let him give you the details and has been extremely successful. But it all comes from passion of aviation, which I tend to have the same. And so uh, it'll be really interesting. So, man, I'm really glad to have you here. So, first of all, tell us a little bit about Leviate and, and what you guys do. Well, Tim, thank you for having me today. I really appreciate it. And uh, it's an honor to, to be speaking to your group today. And I really appreciate the time. Yeah, man. Glad to have you here. So Leviate started back in 2015. One guy in a computer, my business partner, Louis Barros, started the company. It started as a charter brokerage. Oh, wow. uh, essentially just finding people that need to go places and putting them on private jets. And it's not much more complex than that. So he started it with a computer in his home. And here we are six years later, and we've got 50 employees, three different companies. Um, we do just about everything in the aviation space. When it comes to maintenance, we oversee that. We manage private jets. We buy and sell private jets. Recently, we even started inventorying them, which you know means you uh, take ownership, uh, refurbish them, fix them up, and resell them. That sounds expensive. Uh, yeah, and scary. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, and talk, scary. we'll talk about risk in a little bit, but yeah. Yes, absolutely. So like you said earlier, I think the company was really born out of a passion for aviation. Yeah. And uh, from a small child, you know, all I cared about was airplanes. We go on family vacations. And by the time we got to the location, I was depressed Yeah, because we were getting off the airplane. Right. The most exciting thing to me about going on a family vacation was riding on the plane. And I was absolutely fascinated on how that guy up in the front knew what buttons to push and when. Because yeah. there's, at the time, I thought thousands of buttons. So, right. but, you know, I know now there's, I don't know, 50 to 100 buttons up there, but you know, how do you know when to push what button, when and where? Exactly. And, and it blew my mind that there could be somebody that could could have that knowledge. It was, by the way, it was really fun. I got to meet uh, Randall's father. Uh, I guess it was probably about four, five, six months ago. And uh, and I, I guess I'd never met him before. And and he was a pilot and he actually flew uh, a Piper Malibu, which is mm -hmm. what I had a Piper Malibu. And when I started Access, that's actually the plane that I had to start the company when I flew all over the nation. And so it was kind of fun getting to meet him and, and swap some Piper Malibu stories. And, and yep. he would talk about you guys flying up to Aspen or different places and doing things. So, I, you know, especially when you're a kid, I, I knew sitting in the right seat or sitting in the back and watching all that, you know, that's kind of how I got into aviation as well. I had a friend that took me flying in a 172 and, you know, I was hooked. Mm -hmm. So that's really cool. But it, it's fun that you were able to take something that you're passionate about and actually 
do that for a living. So tell us a little bit about how once you once you started, uh, you know, watching the buttons push and were enamored by aviation. What how did that lead to you flying? Absolutely. So, you know, uh, when I was 16, I was really blessed to have parents that fully supported my aviation passion and they paid for me to go to flight school. Uh, I, I trained at Addison Airport. Um, and, uh, got my private license, uh, by the time I was 17. So I was still in high school and, uh, you know, puttering around Dallas and, uh, just basically, you know, uh, private is, is just the basic entry level for pilots. So that really fueled my passion. And I knew from then on that I wanted to be a pilot. That was what I was going to do. And, and quite frankly, I really just, I was no genius at school. I'll, I'll admit like, you know, welcome, I was, welcome to club. <laughs> yeah. I figured, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be successful in business. So I might as well just fly airplanes around for a living. So, <laughs> uh, you know, didn't make great grades in, in high school and, um, ended up going to community college, uh, central Texas college down in Colleen. And, uh, that's where I really realized, Hey, I better start studying and, and doing what I need to do to make this a career. And so I did, and, uh, really dedicated myself to get a good, good grade so that I could transfer to the university of Oklahoma, did my sophomore year and graduated from there. And it was there that I got my, my, uh, instrument rating, you know, uh, CFI, uh, MEI, which is acronyms for certified flight instructor, multi-engine instructor, all that stuff that you have to have to, in order to become a professional pilot. The next step after graduating, I got to move out to California and uh, became a flight instructor at Orange County Flight Center, which was just an incredible experience. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, training students and flying airplanes out of Orange County over to Catalina Island and, and traveling all around uh, Southern California was a really cool experience. Um, always, I, always good weather. Oh, for sure. And I went from living in paradise and being a flight instructor to, you know, making 30 grand a year in the right seat of a King Air in Abilene, Texas. Yeah. So, you know, that was my <laughs> first job and I was happy to have it at 30 yeah. grand a year. You know, in, in the pilot world, you have to earn your wings essentially by flying right. hours. Right. And, uh, so, you know, over the span of five years, I, once again, incredibly lucky. I worked for a company called Fractech. And uh, the oil and gas industry was booming at that time. And they went from a King Air to a Citation Bravo to a Citation Sovereign to right when I left, they were ordering a, a global worth like $40 million. Oh my gosh. Wow. So let me ask a couple of questions for you going. So, you know, for our audience that doesn't necessarily know airplanes real well, one of the things you need to know is you've got to really want to build hours to mm -hmm. be a flight instructor. Uh, I think there's very few things that are more dangerous than being a flight instructor. And the reason why, and not that it's a dangerous thing, but you know, you have people that are learning to fly that are, you know, trying to figure this out and you're trying to teach them how to do this. But I mean, I, I don't want to scare people, but I mean, how many times did you think, okay, this is the end. This person is trying to kill me, you know? <laughs> so all my friends are flight instructors are like, you know, there's that one or two times where I thought, you know what, this guy or this girl is, is not intentionally, but they're going to kill me before this is over with. For sure. And, and there's that gray area, right? Of like, I've got to let this person learn. Make but mistakes, I also yeah. can't let this person put it in the ground. Right. So you've got to let them, especially when you're doing landing training, yeah. you know, when do you grab the controls? Right. That, that's an intense thing. And, and the thing is, you get so good at flying that, you know, the the envelope of the airplane so well that if you're if they're getting too close to a stall, you know, you lower the nose, lower right. the nose. But but it's something I don't want to do again because <laughs> you, you, you uh, did your time. You know, here's the thing. You, you sign off their logbook and you send them off and say, hey, I certify that this person can land and they're ready to do their first solo. Well, what happens if they mess up and they, and they do end up, 
dying or getting really injured, I'm going to feel terrible about that. And I don't want that liability right, anymore. Right. So I'm happy to not be a fly instructor anymore. And right. uh, I've got a whole bunch of other things to worry about now, but it, it was a necessary step in order right. to get to where I was going. And, that, and that's how most people that need hours to build hours. That's typically how you get in. Cause you can get a lot of hours really quick you know, as a flight instructor, oh, especially for, for sure. the big school. For sure. It's that or you towing banners or, or freight. pipeline or yeah. freight yeah. and all of which are very low paying jobs. Right. Right. Those basically people hire you so you can uh, earn hours and they say you're yeah. welcome. Right. Exactly. So. Yeah. In, in most cases they would even, uh, there used to be some uh, airline jobs that were not far sure. from that. Almost you almost have to pay them to fly just to get the hours. But so when, when you were back in school, back up a little bit, when you were in school, you know, and you said, I want aviation to be what I do for a living. I want that to be my career. You know, there's a lot of options for people that want to fly. Mm -hmm. You know, they fly as, as a corporate pilot mm -hmm. or they can go to the airlines or they can fly. For there's all these different things. At what point in time did you decide this is what I want to do with it? Or did it choose you? This episode is brought to you by Voris, a strategic sales advisor for early stage startups. At Voris, we'll add a startup sales expert to your team without the cost and commitment of hiring full-time. We offer sales and SDR advisory for teams serious about exceeding their goals as well as strategy and process recommendations to help accelerate growth. Let us tell you exactly what to focus on to dramatically improve your results. We help early-stage startups hit their revenue goals, and you are only one click away from more revenue. Voris.com it kind of chose me. I mean, I honestly knew from the time I was 16, I, that was going to be my career. What I didn't know was, am I going to be a corporate pilot or am I going to be an airline pilot? And, you know, through flight instructing, the path chose me because I got my first job as a King Air driver. Yeah. And once I started working with those types of people, I really fell in love with the missions. So as a, as a corporate pilot, you're going to locations that, you know, you're, you're not going to in the airlines typically. So, you know, flying aircraft for high net worth individuals, you're going on exotic vacation locations. You're not going DFW to Chicago O'Hare, uh, you know? So yeah. now of course there's huge advantages to airline jobs because you have a set schedule Right. as a corporate pilot. Most corporate pilots do not have a set schedule. Right. Your phone could ring and the owner of the aircraft could say, Hey, we need to be wheels up in three hours. I need you at the airport. Yeah. And so your life becomes a little bit tied to the airplane. More than a little bit. Yeah. So yeah. of course, you know, if you, if you work for a major flight department, like ConocoPhillips or something, they've got enough pilots where you have a schedule, but if you're the typical part 91 guy that has two pilots, you know, that's your life. Yeah. Uh, and you know, if you want a vacation, you got to tell the owner months in advance. And cause you know, they're paying you a good salary to be available. Right. So I, and I've got, you know, lots of friends that have done that. And, um, a lot of people went corporate and one of the things they love about corporate flying is exactly what you said is, you know, you never know sometimes from week to week where you're going to be. And, you know, with my airline pilot friends, you know, they call it bus driving mm -hmm. is they show up and everything's set up for them. They get in and do their job. Right. Whereas when you're flying corporate, you know, they say, Hey, we want, we need to be here at this time at this location. Um, and this is when we need to get there. And now it's up to you to do all the planning. You have to, you know, deal with weather. You have, to, there's a lot of variables there for safety, um, for, uh, logistics, you know, having cars ready. I mean, there's so much to it that most people don't understand that really have nothing to do with flying, mm -hmm. actually flying the airplane. There's so much to it. And I think you learn so much from that. For sure. And you're, you're an aircraft manager as a corporate pilot, right? As an airline pilot, you're a pilot. 
Right. right. I think is what you're getting at. Yeah. So in, and I think going the corporate route actually trained me a lot for what I'm doing today. Right. So how did, so how did you go? What happened after you left uh, that job in, in Abilene? So in Abilene, uh, interestingly, I, I, they offered me a promotion. Uh, and at the time I was living in Fort Worth, I turned down the promotion because of quality of life. I wanted to stay in the DFW area. That's where my family and friends are. And the promotion was to move back to Abilene and fly the bigger airplane. And I said, Nope, I'm good. I'm going to stay in Dallas. I, I like my salary. I'm comfortable. I'm good. And, uh, little did I know two months later, they were going to go public and sell for multi billions of dollars. And in that sale, my airplane disappeared. And so overnight I lost my job and they called me and said, Hey, sorry, we're, this airplane's gone. We've sold the company. Uh, here's a severance. And it was a great severance. So I wasn't too upset. Um, but you know, we wish you the best. <laughs> so then I was on the street and uh, had no job. Um, and, uh, so, you know, through a mutual relationship, uh, a guy named Randall Reed called me and Randall's a local entrepreneur, car dealer. Um, we had met a couple times, uh, at some events and we shared the same aviation passion, right? He's a, a pilot flies his own private jet. And, um, you know, so he called me and said, Hey, I heard you lost your job. Be in my office on Monday. And so I thought he was going to hire me to fly one of his Lear sixties. And I was going to work for a 135 operation. Yeah. Explain 134 to the 135 operation. So 135 is, is basically a private jet airline. So as a, as a corporate pilot, you probably don't love the 135 job. You kind of love the part 91. I fly once every two weeks. Uh, you know, I can make a great salary on the 135 when the owner's not using it, the plane's utilized for commercial use. So people are booking charters on it. Right. So you're, you fly a lot more when you're on a 135. Right. So, you know, I was going from the Cush once a month job flying job to Costa Rica to potentially flying, you know, every week, which I, I was fine with. I was excited about the meeting, but, uh, just to kind of set the stage of what pilots think. Uh, if you ask any pilot out there, he probably wants the part 91 job, especially if it's an older guy, mm -hmm. he doesn't want to fly charters. He just wants right. to, you know, fly every once in a while. So, um, he said, be in my office on Monday. And I said, okay. And, uh, I went there thinking he was going to offer me a pilot job. And that's, that's not the case at all. He said, man, I recognize a talent in you and it's in sales. You don't need to be in the cockpit. You need to be selling. And this guy sells, you know, 20, 30,000 cars, uh, a year. He sells a, a ton of cars. It might be a month. I don't remember what he told me. <laughs> I don't know, I don't a know what a lot of cars is, it's, but yeah. I think 30,000 sounds <laughs> a like bunch. a lot. Yeah. It was a lot of cars. He's one of the largest independent Ford dealers in the nation. Oh, wow. So uh, he said, you're, you're getting out of the cockpit. And I'm like, uh, I'm a pilot. I don't, I don't want to do that. And he said, all right, I'm going to give you six months and I'm going to pay you this salary and you're going to hit the phones and you're going to try and sell aircraft management. And if you're not successful, then I'll hire you to fly the Lear 60 after that. So it was a no brainer. And he kind of forced me into the business side of aviation, which I'll forever be thankful. Uh, and, um, interestingly, we've became great friends. He was just at my 40th birthday in Turks and Caicos. And oh, cool. Yeah. I actually flew on his airplane out to Turks and, uh, cause he needed it out there. So it worked out perfectly where I got to load up the plane with my friends and took 20 of 22 of my greatest friends out to Turks. And he came to my birthday dinner. That's how close we are. Not so. a bad deal. So, so tell me about that first six months. It was brutal. So I had zero success in the first six months. I was hitting the phones. You know, I was a pilot. What do I know about, you know, talking people into letting us manage your airplane? You know, hey, when you're not using it, we can utilize it. We can sell time on it. We can, you know, we can offset your costs. So, I mean, these assets are enormously expensive. Yeah. So if we could cut the cost of ownership in half, that's a pretty attractive thing. So I kind of learned uh, a lot about the process and what it meant to be on a 135. And, you know, I think on the seventh month, 
I landed my first deal. And uh, it was a Challenger 601 out of Addison. And um, explain what that is to people. It's a large cabin airplane. You can Google it. It's it's an older plane, but it's big. And the revenue for a 135 company is, is pretty good because the larger the plane, the larger per hour you can charge. And management companies make a profit share on the hours sold. Right. So when you're talking about a larger plane, it seats about what? Uh, a 601 seats about 10. I yeah. mean, there's different seating yeah. configurations, it's, 10 it, to 12 It's people. a wide body jet. It's super comfortable. It's, yeah. a, it's a great airplane. It's huge. And, and it, you know, so that was my first deal. And I got my commission, which was significant. And I said, wow, that was, that was fun and also lucrative. You know, maybe I can do this. Yeah. And from there, it went crazy. So at the time I signed on with Starbase, when he hired me to grow the fleet, we had six airplanes. By the time I left, uh, you know, four and a half years later, we had 32 airplanes. Oh my gosh, yeah. So we built that company to be substantial uh, in the 135 world. And, um, you know, we had a lot of success. And during those four and a half years, I learned everything about aircraft management. I started buying and selling business jets for Mr. Reed. Um, even later, uh, we created a company together solely to, to buy and sell planes. So that was my first business that we started. And he was a partner in that business. Okay. So, so you, you probably learned a ton of just figuring out how to do it as you went. So he, he, he had this company and said, here's what we want to do. And here's what we accomplish. And Hey, we, here's kind of how you do it. Go figure it out. Right. That's a lot the case in, uh, you know, on the aircraft management side, I did have some resources, you know, uh, within that company that were really educated that I kind of sat with a lot and just kind of learned through what they were doing. Uh, Joel Brookshire, I don't know if you ever heard of uh, Brookshire brothers grocery stores. Yeah. He was involved in the company. He, he taught me a ton about aircraft management. He was a partner of Randall's and Starbase jet. Okay. So I literally just kind of mirrored and shadowed him for a couple of years, learned everything I needed. And then they kind of cut me loose and I did my own thing for the last few years at, at Starbase. Oh, wow. So, so what, so when did that end? So Starbase jet, uh, ended, that would have been in 14, okay. uh, 2014. Um, Lewis who started, uh, what at the time was called horizon air charter later renamed to Leviate air charter. He left in 14, just some differences in management opinions. Sure. And he was the first one to go. And then a later Rob Rosenberg left. Um, and by the way, everyone left on great terms with Randall Reed. Obviously, if he's, you know, if he's coming, if he's flying, you're on his airplane flying yeah. to well, two years, Caicos, you guys have to be okay. Yeah. Two years after we left the company, he called us and said, Hey, I'm going to shut this company down unless you unless you want to take it, which I don't recommend. I'm advising you not to do this, but if you guys want to take this on, you know, I want you to have it. So that's the way that we left is, you know, obviously you never want to burn bridges right. in business. Right. And and we all left in a good way. We didn't go after his clients. We we went and built a business on our own and we never touched anybody that that was involved with him and he appreciated that. Yeah. So, so what was your role when you left and you went to Liviate? What was your role and what did you do? And then how are you a part of this organization? Sure. So, so Lewis started Leviate Air Charter and that's its own entity. Okay. So, um, that's one company. Shortly after he left, uh, I started Reed Aviation with Chad Bullyu, who is my current business partner and Randall Reed. And we had that company for about eight months and we were incredibly successful. And then there's some political things that happened that I won't go into on this podcast, but we shut that company down right after 
making an enormous amount of money and we just couldn't continue. And I went into Mr. Reed's office and said, I can't do this. I've, I've got to, I've got to start my own thing. I can't, can't be partners anymore. I'm going to go off on my own. And he, and, and he was, I mean, I think we both cried in that meeting and yeah. he, but he encouraged me and said, Hey man, I wish you the best. I hope you're incredibly successful. And and so we, once again, left on great terms and I started Leviate Aircraft Sales. And so I knew that you know, to be successful in aircraft sales, you've got to have a lot of leads coming in. And if you're going to buy an airplane, almost all people who buy one first charter one. And so attaching an aircraft sales company to a charter company makes a lot of sense. You would think, right? And a lot of it's, it's inter- interesting because Leviate is one of the only companies in the business that has management, sales, and charter. So we've attached all those companies together. And I think is one of the reasons that we've you know, been so successful is that we can offer our clients everything. So, and we'll go more into this later, but, um, when you're on the sales side, how do you, when you took, you get leads. So I'm guessing that you have a lot of clients that, um, on the charter side that really charter a lot. And at some point in time, you know, you're over here on the sales side going, man, it would make a lot of financial sense to them as much as they're flying, as much as they're spending, they need to buy an airplane. Exactly right. And it, and it's really not more complex than a math problem. Yeah. Um, if I'm going to charter a hundred hours a year, I know my average cost per hour could be X and mm-hmm. I take 100 times X and I get this number, right? And then, you know, there, there comes a point in time where if you fly so many charter hours, it's cheaper to buy your own airplane. Right. And that number varies depending on, am I buying a light jet turboprop? Am I buying a heavy jet? And we help clients figure that out. When does it make sense to buy a jet? That's part of our consulting service. And, you know, a lot of times it's around 150 to 200 hours a year. If you need to utilize that asset that much, um, I find a lot of our clients are buying airplanes because they need them, but also a lot of clients are buying them because they want the tax write off. Right. So, you know, this is probably going to end soon, but you know, we've, we've had bonus depreciation. We've also over the last few years have been able to, to do a carry back mm-hmm. where if you buy a $20 million asset this year, you could offset your taxes three years ago. So wow. that was a unique thing that president Trump put in and in, in order to stimulate the common economy that's gone. Now you can't carry it back, right. but bonus depreciation, you can still buy an airplane and, and, uh, and offset your taxes. And that's one of the things when I got into aviation and started buying airplanes, um, that most people don't understand about it is literally to buy buy and sell airplanes is a math problem. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's so many factors and you know, diving will bore people to death with it. But, you know, there's operational costs, there's purchase costs, there's maintenance costs, there's, you know, it, with that, with there's insurance and there's hangar, there's so many things that go into, you know, just buying an airplane, you're not just buying an airplane, but you're buying a lot of you're buying an, an asset that requires a lot of feed and mm-hmm. care, right? Yep. And those the feed and care items are actually a lot of times more expensive than actual airplane note. If you're, if you're financing the airplane. And so to under, you have to understand all that. And that's one of the things that, that Randall's really good at is understanding the math of what that looks like and, you know, assisting his buyers or sellers, mainly his buyers of what is this really going to look like for you? And let's make sure we choose the right airplane based on what you're going to do, because you know, that can be twice, that airplane can cost you twice as much if you buy the wrong airplane for what you do. And the reason I know all this, because I met Randall through uh, another gentleman who actually did a podcast with not too long ago that if you have, may have already listened to Nate Cavender mm-hmm. and Nate does some things uh, on the side with, uh, with Randall and those guys. But because of Nate, um, I actually uh, sold an, I guess sold an airplane first through you guys. So uh-huh. Randall actually sold one of my airplanes. And of course we turn around and, and buy another one 
for tax reasons and other reasons. But um, that's how I that's met how Randall. Met. Yep. Yeah, is, is uh, I was a client. And uh, through Nate, which if you listen to the Nate Cavender podcast, I said everybody I know in, in Dallas is because of Nate. Here's, here's one example is, <laughs> is Randall. But, you know, back to it's really a math problem is looking at the math and saying, well, what's right for this client? And I know you do a really, really good job of that. But let's let's dive back into when you when you first jumped over and left Randall and you said, I'm going to start this thing. Let's talk about that a little bit. So a lot of people that listen to the podcast are business owners, they're entrepreneurs, they run businesses, they're managers. Tell us about that decision, about that decision to kind of go out on your own and start this thing. You've done it before and it's, you've done it on someone else's dime mm -hmm. and now you're jumping in and it's on you. So t talk a little bit about the mindset you had and what you were thinking when you made that decision. Cause it was probably not an easy decision. For sure. And there's, there's, there's a couple aspects to this. And, uh, you told me to be brutally honest and I, I plan please, to do please, that. So, please be. so from a personal standpoint at the time that I chose this, you know, I was a single guy and I had a choice in front of me. It was, do I start my own thing and risk this amount of money and go out on my own? Or do I take a solid job with a major company called Jet Aviva, who was the largest business jet transactor at the time they're selling, you know, 90, you know, hundred airplanes a year, they offered me a job. So I had a solid job being, uh, the Mustang, uh, salesman, which is a small airplane globally guaranteed selling like 20 airplanes a year and a really nice salary. Or do I go off and start my own thing and take this huge risk? Well, I made that decision to start my own thing. Um, and literally one month later, <laughs> sorry, mom, I got my girlfriend pregnant. Yeah. Uh, who is now my wife and right. I have a four-year-old with her and I'm, I'm incredibly thankful that that happened. Uh, and, um, you know, so one month after starting this thing, I have a girlfriend that's pregnant and I'm starting a family and wow. I'm now completely terrified and thinking, did I make the wrong decision? And it's tough in the first year starting your own company. There's a lot of challenges. Every you're learning everything. Like I'm doing payroll and accounting and, you know, I'm trying to figure out everything on my own when before, like you said, you're supported. Right. Luckily, you know, attaching to a charter company, they had a lot of stuff, you know, set up that was helpful to me. So um, what, for you, for you, let me ask you this, what going into it, what were the things that you thought it would be? What what'd you think starting a business was going to be versus what are some of the things that hit you that you didn't expect that were, oh my, roadblocks or, oh my gosh, or what, what are some of the things you remember that were kind of, because sometimes you go into work and you don't think about it and, and you, you kind of hit a roadblock and go, oh my gosh, I never even thought about that. Right, exactly. Well, one of the biggest things, the, the first deal I signed in the new company was a Citation 10, uh, a local Dallas uh, company. And I was competing against a huge competitor that has, you know, 10 years of experience plus behind them. And, you know, I was in the meeting uh, and the guy says to me, well, how long have you guys been in business? I mean, uh, like a few hours. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, so I had to explain to him that, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, but you know, at the time horizon aircraft sales is, is a new entity and we're, you know, we're getting going, but I came in there so prepared because I knew I was going to have that question. Right. My marketing materials were top notch. I, I made sure that I was better than my competitor and we ended up winning that account. Uh, and I think the guy I was competing with was absolutely shocked that we yeah. won. And, and I, I would say that when you're starting a business, you have to be better than your competitors. So how, who are your competitors and how can you be better? And, and so 
in our business, it's kind of interesting because it's the wild west. There's no standard contracts. There's no, um, you know, MLS where you have a marketing, you know, where you can go to the real estate. Right, Right, exactly. So you don't have that. So I had to prepare my own marketing materials. So I'd hired a guy, uh, to make sure that I had the, the best looking stuff an art graphics guy. So I went to that meeting and just blew the, the owner away. And he's like, wow, your stuff looks so much better. If you're doing this good on your presentation to me, then you're probably, presenting my airplane pretty well too. Right. So being overprepared for that meeting, I think right. was a big thing. Um, being ready to combat, you know, you have some negatives when starting a company, know what those are and be ready to, to answer those questions. And you got to answer them with confidence. Right. I think especially in the private jet world, if you're not confident, you're not getting the deal. It, it's being an underdog. It's a real thing. And knowing that that's who you are, it makes you work harder and do things special. And, uh, and, and the interesting thing is as you get more successful, you you have to be careful. We do, we have to be careful that we don't ever lose that. Right. I agree. You always want to, you always want to feel like you're the guy behind the eight ball. I'm the guy, I'm the guy that doesn't have the advantage. I'm disadvantaged in in this presentation, whatever it is. And that's what helps you keep your edge. Right. Mm -hmm. So back, back when you're starting and you were going through this, so that was some of the things, what, tell me about some of the things when you started the business that you didn't think about from a accounting or dealing with payroll or insurance and you know what of course you had good thing is you had horizon guys to kind of help you through that so that was a huge you think back that was probably a huge advantage for you to partner with someone however you guys arrange that to be able to utilize their resources their knowledge on how to run a business Mm mm-hmm you know, cause it's one thing to do business. It's another thing to run a business, right? Mm-hmm. Two very different things. You know, we, we call that front of the house and back of the house. So in front of the house is my presentation and how I present and what I say and, and how I present myself and the company. And then you have backstage and that's all the stuff that's all the gears that are running to allow you to do that. That's making sure, you know, you, you pay your people, making sure your transactions, the money's going in and out. And that's one of the things people don't understand about aviation is that, you know, there's a lot of money changes hands. And when you change hands that many millions of dollars, it's complicated. And you, you know, you have to go through special companies that deal with those transactions that make sure that, people on both sides are comfortable with it. So you have th- literally a third party that holds the money in escrow mm-hmm. that makes sure that things are done right before they release it. And that's complicated. And that's a backstage thing. And having all that set up correctly allows your front stage to work, right? So tell me about you building out the backstage and making sure that all the stuff behind you was was set up right. Was there any surprises there that came up? For sure. There, there definitely was. And to address, you know, how we, how we got started and I made the choice that I, I didn't have much money when I started this company I made the choice to, to swap equity. So I traded a larger percentage of my aircraft sales company for a smaller percentage of the charter business so that I could attach to them, not only get their leads, but have access to what they had set up with Salesforce, which is a, you know, a, a sales uh, CRM, platform, yeah. CRM platform. I got access to that. They, you know, they agreed to pay a lot of my expenses to get going, buying computers and those types of things. So I was a one man show at that time. So that sounded really attractive to me to really launch me and get me going. And I, w- and I would say today that I'm so happy that I made that choice. Good. So that was a good move for oh you. Oh my gosh. If I had decided, you know what, I'm not going to give up this percentage. I'm doing this on my own and I'm going to have my own aircraft sales company. 
there's no way we would have, I would have had the success that I've had, or they would have had the, the success that they've had. I think they would agree with what I'm saying. By joining forces, we become so much stronger than we ever imagined. Right. And I guess because you knew these guys before, you'd worked with them before, there was a level of trust there. One you of them was my best were. friend since the eighth grade, who oh, I wow. got involved in aviation. So, so you knew him pretty well. Right. Rob Rosenberg, <laughs> I've known him since the right. eighth grade, where we've been best friends since then. Right. So. But absolutely. Uh, and, you know, so the back office stuff, I think, is is so important because you start messing that stuff up, you're going to start losing clients quickly. Right. And especially you mentioned escrow companies, you know, these transactions are complex. And you, you want to transparently one of the mistakes we made early on cybersecurity. So we're emailing escrow companies, you know, on the charter business. Oh, wow. Large yeah. amounts of money and wire instructions are being exchanged through email. Oh, wow. We had a situation where someone got into our email system and started, I don't know what they call it, ghosting or right. spoofing. Yeah. So they intercepted one of our emails. They then mirrored it and then sent wire instructions, wrong wire instructions to one of our clients. No way. Now, the client luckily realized that the email wire instructions came from almost an identical email address, but with one letter missing, they noticed it. And so, you know, we, we quick, quickly realized that if you're not really beefed up on cybersecurity, especially dealing with this kind of money, then you're exposed. Right. And, um, you know, we did make a mistake in another transaction where one of our charter brokers wired $10,000 to a wrong account, oh. which we never recovered. Wow. So we did invest in cybersecurity. We have a professional firm that monitors everything and, and that's expensive, but it's money well spent for us. Yeah. And so I would say that's definitely a mistake we made early on is, you know, not securing our email systems as well as we should have. The back office stuff, uh, we recently hired our own corporate controller, but for the last four years, we had a, a firm called Baker Tilly, which is an accounting firm. They do all of our taxes and they we, we contracted with them to handle everything for us. Right. So we're not accountants. We're three young guys that, you know, are lucky to <laughs> you, you do let the people who know what five. they're doing, do their thing. Like right? I said, I was no genius in high school, so I certainly right. don't want to be counting, right. uh, you know, doing accounting. So, yeah. um, we've definitely recognized our weaknesses and, yeah. and hired people to help us with what we're not good at. So in, in talking to the audience, let's, let's say that, um, if you had, you know, say six or seven minutes to tell the audience what you would love for them to hear based on your experience of you going through and starting a company and leaving and, and that mentality of leaving and, and taking that risk and going through what you've gone through over the last few years, what advice would you give? What are some things that you learned that you wish someone would have told you back when you started the company? Share that with our audience. Absolutely. So I think, first of all, everybody should, should try and find something that they're passionate about. And if you're lucky enough to work in that space, then I think life is going to be so much happier for you. And I would say that, you know, a lot of folks that work in aviation, it's a rarity where I look forward to Monday. I love the weekend because I spend it with my kids, but I'm excited to go to work. And I don't think, you know, a ton of people can say that. And tenacity, like there's been so many times over the last probably three years where I've been incredibly discouraged. And there's been times where we thought we were going to fail. And we were literally sitting at lunch maybe a year and a half ago, figuring out how we were going to unwind the company and get rid of the management company. And it was going to go, you know, bankrupt essentially. Right. And then to sit here today, you know, we, we got through all that and we figured it out and we never gave up. And I know that kind of sounds like an inspirational talk or something. We, we talk about it all the time. But here. It, yeah. you know, it's, it's true. And, and, uh, you know, 
I couldn't be more proud of the company that we've built. And when I think back over, you know, the last five years, you know, there's so many ups and downs. Right. And, you know, when you're down, you got to figure out what is it going to take to get through this? I was going to say, what, tell me, you know, we've all been in those situations where, you know, it's literally you 24 hours to think about, do I want to keep going? Mm hmm. Or are we going to stop? And and don't, you don't have to go into the, the details financially, but tell us when you guys were sitting around lunch having that discussion, what was it that you guys decided on? Why did you decide we got to make this work? The management company is heavily dependent on its aircraft owners, right? Every airplane is a revenue stream. And, you know, we had taken a failing company that was losing 80,000 a month and cut it down to losing about 30 grand a month. And we only had so much runway. We're, we're not wealthy guys. So we had our runway. We had gone a year and we'd, we'd got it down to losing like 10 grand a month, but we still weren't profitable. And a lot of prayers, a little bit of luck. Uh, we started landing more management deals, but we were figuring out how to extend our runway. We were, we were actually going to one of our owners and, you know, offered some equity and Hey, we, we need this amount of money and he was going to do it. But it turned out that we didn't need it. And, you know, this is kind of an odd thing too, but, you know, COVID happening, interestingly, was incredibly great for our company. And I say that, you know, I'm really sad that COVID happened, but it created a situation for a private jet company where all of a sudden private jets were in incredible demand, right? If, I, if I'm a high net worth person for a while, I wasn't going to get on the airlines. So in times where a lot of companies were struggling, private jets were going crazy, charters, Aircraft, everybody was wants to buy an airplane. I mean, it, it was it was really a huge uptick in demand. So I think being able to figure out how to stay alive long enough to where the tide is going to change, right? Yeah. It's going to happen if if you know what you're doing and you're passionate about it. As long as you can extend your runway long enough, you're going to figure out how to make it work. Yeah, and, and there's there's always that tipping point. And it's funny we were having this conversation with Nate just a few days ago, and exactly same thing with this driveway company. Mm -hmm. You know, literally are we going to keep going? And, you know, the, I, I can't figure out how we're going to make this work. And they pivoted a little bit in one direction and boom, everything hit. Right. And, um, so, you know, there's, there's probably a million stories of people pivoting and it not hitting. Well, think about but, how many billionaires say, well, yeah. I, I was bankrupt before, you know, we made this into a billion dollar organization. Yeah. Almost every successful entrepreneur almost went bankrupt. Right. Yeah. And, and that goes back to, you know, I think creativity is stopping and instead of just giving up and being so inside your own head of paranoid and scared is use that energy to be creative, to pivot, figure mm -hmm. out how can we make this work? What have we not thought about? Mm -hmm. What's the direction? Ask people, ask people who've been there before, ask people who have been in your spot. I talked to have mentors that coach you say, Hey, man, you're in a good spot. You don't know it yet. You know, cause I'm sure if someone came to you and said, let me tell you where I'm at. And you're like, oh man, just hang on, you know, Absolutely. give it another four months. And so there's that little bit of risk there, extra risk that you think you're going to sink. And really what's happening is you're just starting to swim. Yeah, absolutely. And I would definitely, you know, leave the conversation and say, you know, if you are thinking about starting your own company and, and you maybe want to take that risk, you should do it. Because I think if you don't, there's going to be multiple times later in life where you're going to say, man, I wish I had done that. Yeah. Where would I be if I had taken that risk and, and done yeah. that? Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm, th I'm thankful I did. And, uh, I think, you know, that's what I would leave the conversation is just take the risk, go do it. If that, if that's what you're passionate about and you want to do it, you got to do it.
I'll, I'll end with this and say, hey, I really appreciate you as number one as a friend, but also um, you guys have done a great job for, for me and our company, and we've bought and sold several airplanes with you. You know, we're not a big jet guys, but you've treated us like big jet guys. And so uh, anyone that's interested in, in looking at airplanes, considering it, man, I'd give Randall a call and, and his company, and, and uh, they do a good job of understanding what that looks like and, and if it's really right for you or not. And he's pretty blunt, honest guy about that. <laughs> and so I uh, appreciate everything you've done for us, for Access, and for me. And um, thanks for coming in today. You bet. I appreciate it. And if you want to know more about Leviate, www.leviateair.com. Um, Spell that. L-E-V-I-A-T-E-A-I-R.com. Were you testing my spelling there? Or no, I just want to make sure everybody <laughs> got that. <laughs> we'll probably put that in the show notes too. But hey, thanks again for being here. Hey, you bet, Tim. All right, bye. And for our listeners, you know, again, we're always looking for feedback on this podcast. Hit the subscribe button. Give us some critical feedback how we can make this thing better. Go to our website at accessefm.com. Check us out there. Find us on Twitter. Find us on Instagram. Find us on Facebook. Give us a like. Give us a tweet. Give us a thumbs up. And appreciate you guys listening.